It has been such a pleasure worshiping with you today. Have you been blessed by it? Good, good. It's been a great day. I'm excited uh, for today. I've been looking forward to this day for, for a while now. Uh, appreciate your flexibility last week as we had to readjust so that I could be out of town to, uh, to be with my family. Um, and, and I'm excited about, uh, about what we're going to be doing in just a few minutes. Before I, I say a little bit more about that, if you have your Bible app, you may want to open it up to the version called The Message today. That's where I'm going to be coming from. Also, if you picked up, uh, there's a, uh, an order of worship, and on the back of it, if you turn it over, it has the scriptures that I'm going to be referencing. If you don't have one of those, raise your hands, and our ushers will be glad to get you one of those. So just keep your hands up. They'll be glad to get one to you, and it'll have the scriptures there for you to see. But I'm excited about that. I'm excited because uh, we're going to be communing together as a family in, in just a few minutes. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's a little bit different. We're changing our service. Change is, is never easy. You know, we might be worrying about, well, what is it going to be like when the kids come back in? And I understand that. But I would also answer that by saying, you know what, I think Jesus will be okay with it because he is the one who said, let the little children come to me. Remember when the disciples were trying to keep the children away and Jesus' response is, hey, don't keep them out. The kingdom of heaven is theirs. Let the little children come to me, which is why we're choosing to bring our children back in as we commune together. Communion is not so much about personal, private reflection time. We do that before communion. Communion is about drawing together as a family, about coming together as brothers and sisters, uniting together around the cross of, uh, of Jesus Christ. And so I'm excited about that. I'm also excited to share another announcement with you that will be coming up toward the end of the service that I think you'll be excited about as well. But if you've got your, uh, if you've got your paper or you have your Bible app, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 9 on the message, or it will be on the back of your, your order of worship. Well, today, we're continuing along in our series in Matthew, and the, the title of the message, as you can see, is called The Dirty Dozen, and it's based on the 1967 movie, The Dirty Dozen. Now, then many, many of you were around during that time, right? Several of you, I was not born yet, but many of you were, and you remember this movie. It was directed by Robert uh, Aldrich, and it received lots of, of great acclaim. And, uh, you know, I've, I've seen this movie, and it takes place during, uh, during World War II, on, uh, just before the, the advance, the, the Allied invasion of, of France. And basically, the, the plot of this movie is pretty simple. There's a guy by the name of uh, Major Reisman, and he is assigned a top-secret mission, and it is to take a, a small band of people, which turns out to be about a dozen guys, who were already in the army, but they were convicted of various crimes while they were in the army. Some of these guys are uh, even awaiting uh, a, a death sentence, and uh, this major's job was to assemble this group of, of 12 people with this with these paths and were to teach them how to be commandos and he was going to send them on basically what amounted to a, a suicide mission right now if they survived the mission you know they'd kind of get their record expunged and they would be be re-enlisted 
back in the army. And so he chose these 12 guys that have this, this, this long criminal past, and they're sort of dubbed the Dirty Dozen. Today, as we come to the end of Matthew chapter 9 and beginning of chapter 10, we see that, that Jesus Christ, he had his own Dirty Dozen. And while they were not considered convicts in the way that the 12 from the movie were, we know that many of these guys were arrested. They were beaten. They were thrown in jail, in prison because of their beliefs. And in some way, the mission that, that Jesus called these guys to was in a lot of ways a, a suicide mission. And so as Jesus chose these, these 12 men, he chose them and he commissioned them to go out and, and do something that had never been done before. He assigned them a task that had never been attempted in the history of the world, and that mission was to go out and to radically change the world for Jesus. And so he, he sent them out. He sent them out on sort of a, a limited commission to start with. And it's where they went out for a, for a brief period of time and they were supposed to do certain things. But we know at the, the, the end of this gospel that we're studying, just before Jesus uh, uh, goes back up into heaven, that he gave them what is known as the Great Commission, where he told them to go into all the world, to make disciples, to teaching people about Jesus, to, to baptize people into his name it was a worldwide mission unlike anything the world has seen but Jesus didn't just say okay this is what I want you to do just go out and convert people before he sent them out he sort of sat them down and he had a talk with them and what I see there now there are several things in here but what we want to look at this morning is there are five things that Jesus gave to his dirty dozen, five items to keep in mind as his dirty dozen went out and they engaged, they engaged the world. Now then, these things are not just for the dirty dozen of Jesus' day, but I think in a lot of ways they apply to us. And while we can't be members of that original dirty dozen, we can be members of something else, and we're going to build toward that in just a few minutes. But as we open up this, this text and we look at the end of, of, of Matthew chapter 9, Jesus has a crowd gathered. And if you look at verse 36, and we'll see the first thing right here. When Jesus, it says, when he looked out over the crowds, his heart broke. So confused and aimless they were. <clears throat> like, like sheep with no shepherd you see and i think that's the the most important thing for jesus disciples for the dirty dozen to understand jesus as we know was an incredible leader and any good leader will never ask someone to perform a task that that leader has not already done first 
has not demonstrated how to do them. And what Jesus, or what the Scripture tells us, is that as, as Jesus looked out over the crowd and he saw the people, it says that he, his heart was broken for them. And he goes on to say, what a harvest. He said to his disciples, how few workers. On your knees and, and pray, pray for harvest hands. The first thing that these guys, this dirty dozen, the first thing that they, they absolutely had to have that was essential in order for them to complete this message is they had to have a heart for the lost. And that's so very important. We, too, must have a heart for the lost. And I'm afraid that a lot of times we forget that. We forget that there are people out there that don't know Jesus. But what we have to have, if we're going to be Jesus followers, we have to have the same thing. We must have a heart for the lost. Right? That's the very reason why for this year we have decided to pray for the lost in our service. There are very few churches that make a, a concerted effort to praying and spending specific time asking God to, to bring those who are lost into the family of God. And that's one of the reasons why we're doing that because we want to bring to attention and bring to mind as we worship together that there are people out there outside of, uh, of our family that we would love for God to bring inside that we would love for God to bring inside. So the first thing that the dirty dozen had to have is they had to have a heart for the lost. You go on reading in uh, chapter 10. This is the list of the 12 that he sent. Simon, they called him Peter or Rock. Andrew, his brother. James, Zebedee's son. John, his brother. Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew the taxman, James the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus or Thaddeus if you like, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot, who later turned on him. Hello? These are the twelve that he called together. Out of, out of the crowds that were following them, he, following him, he hand-chose these twelve guys. And they would become his dirty dozen. Now then, some of them were really dirty because their job was a fisherman, which was a very, very dirty occupation. Then you got guys like Simon the Zealot, who they developed a reputation as being dagger men if you know what I mean. Sneak up behind somebody and slip a dagger between your ribs. So, you know, there's some dirt on these guys. So this is the original dirty dozen. But these are the guys that Jesus calls to him. And what he shows them is right off the bat that they have to have a heart for the lost. But then we continue reading in verse 6, and he gives them the second thing. He tells them, go to the lost, confused people right here in the neighborhood. Tell them that the kingdom is here and bring help to the sick. Raise the dead. Touch the untouchables. Kick out the demons. You have been treated generously, so live generously. Jesus 
has showed them that they must have a heart for the lost. Now then, it's one thing to have a heart for the lost and to feel bad for people and to feel sorry and want them to come into the family of God, but it is, a, it is another thing entirely to go to the lost. You know, all of us, you know, we all have good intentions, don't we? How many times have we had a, a very well-intended uh, thing that we wanted to do, but we didn't follow through on it? Anybody else? Am I the only one? You know, it's one thing to have a heart for the lost. It is another thing to actually go to the lost. And this is what we must do. Now then, this is, this is kind of difficult, but it's, yet this is the thing that, that we can do as well. Okay? There are, are people all around us who don't know Jesus. Our co-workers, our neighbors. You probably have family members that don't know Jesus. You have friends that don't know Jesus. Hopefully these are the people that you are remembering during that, that 30 seconds of silence as we ask God to, to call them forth and to, to bring them into faith. But when Jesus says, go to the lost, the confused people right here in the neighborhood, now in, in context, he's talking about Israel. Start with the Israelites. Now then later on, he's going to expand the mission. He's going to tell them to go all over the place. But he's saying, start where you are. Go to those people and show them Jesus. And that's what we have to do. There are people all around us in close proximity to us that don't know Jesus. And we're called to minister in our neighborhood. That's one of, my, that's one of the things that I love most about, about going over and seeing our friends at Providence Plaza. Uh, those sweet people are one mile from this facility, from this campus. Okay, those, and, you know, and, and, and I, I'll say, those are our people. And, and, and I hope they consider us their people because we've been able to develop some great relationships and that's one of the great places and one of the great things where we can, can go and, and do ministry. But Jesus tells them, go and raise the dead. He says, touch the untouchables, kick out the demons. Now then, we don't have the ability to raise the dead. Or if, if you do, why haven't you shared that with us? But we don't have the ability to raise the dead. But what we do have is we have the ability to bring someone to the one who can raise the dead spiritually. We don't have the ability to kick out demons, but we can bring someone in contact with the one who can. <coughs> now, the one thing we can do, we can touch the untouchables. Those people that are unlovable that are outcasts maybe by our, our community, those who have been marginalized by society. Do you know who some of those people are? Do they come to mind? That's the people that, that Jesus wants us to go to. What was it that he said? It's the, not the well who need a doctor, it's the sick. The, un, the untouchables. We are to go to the untouchables. Do you know why? Because at one time, we were the untouchables, spiritually. Jesus says, you have been treated generously, so live generously. What he is saying is you have been given so much life. You have been given so much grace and mercy that you do not even remotely deserve that he tells the dirty dozen, as you go out and you interact with these people, you show them the same generosity, the same love, the same grace, the same mercy that has been given to you. 
you go do that to them. And that's what you have to have to seek out the lost. And, and, and here's another thing. You know, in, in days past, when, when someone wanted to know about Jesus, they might go to church. Well, for the most part, those days are over. And realistically, it's not our job to just sit here and hope lost people come to us. Jesus said, go to the lost. Okay, and so if you are a disciple, if you call yourself a Christian, if you are a Jesus person, then this is for you as well, that you have to, I have to, we have to go to the lost. Uh, into, into verses 9 and 10. Don't think you have to put on a fundraising campaign before you start. You don't need a lot of equipment. You are the equipment. And of course, this is where, where Jesus is telling them, you know, you don't have to take you know, extra cloaks and extra money and all of these things. He also goes on and talks about treatment. If you go to a place and you're not received well, what to do about that. But I think the point that Jesus wants to make here is you don't have to have anything special with you. You don't necessarily have to have any kind of special training to go and do this. You just be who you are. You are the equipment. Okay, and I think that's the, the thing that Jesus wants them to grasp, that in order for the dirty dozen to complete this mission, they must minister from their life experience and the gifting that God has, has given them. You know, there are so many of us who, you know, we could sit down and we can talk about our past. We can talk about places where we've been wounded. We can talk about mistakes that we have been made, that, that we have made. Choices that, that we regret. And we could have ourselves a, a pretty good pity party, party if we wanted to, right? Now then, within some of those things, there's probably some deep-seated shame that some of us could feel. But here's the thing about the kingdom of God. God takes those things, those, those embarrassing moments that we have, those, those slips of the tongue or whatever they might be, those horrible choices that we make. He can take those things and He can use them for His glory. Where something that was once shameful to me God now uses to lead others to Him. Because when I hear somebody talk about their life and they've blown it and they don't think that God could love them, or Jesus has any, any, any room for someone like that, and, and that's something that I've dealt with, I say, yeah, you can. Because I've been right where you are. I've made that decision that you made. Okay, Whatever happened to you happened to me. And it was Jesus who, who brought me out of it. The dirty dozen, they used their, their life experience and they used their gifting to lead others to Jesus. And that's what we are to do as well. Okay? Now then, you might not be called to stand up and, and to preach or teach. Okay? And that's fine. If that's not your gift, that's fine. If that is your gifting and if that's your calling, then you need to do that. But if it is not... Just listen. I think one of the greatest spiritual gifts that we often overlook is the spiritual gift of just, just active listening. Listening to people around us. Listening to their stories. Listening to their, 
their hurts or their struggles, things going on in their marriage or with their children or with their job. Most of us have experienced some turmoil in at least one of those, maybe all of those areas of our life. When we hear those things, and if people know that we are followers of Christ and we have lived our life in a certain way, and they come to us and they say, hey, look, how did you get through that? They're inviting you to speak Jesus into their life. You don't have to have anything special. You are the equipment. You minister from your own life experience and from your own gifting. You use what God has has brought you through and what God has given to you. And you minister out of those things. And you'll be amazed at the, at the results they can be. And you know, it's, it, it's really amazing that, that God does take our, our past, our shames, our failures, and He uses them for, for His glory. And if we will allow Him to, our, our failures can become our testimony. There's no greater example of that than the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross was considered a, you know, a, a, a torture instrument but but maybe more than that what came with the cross was deep-seated shame and if you were crucified it was the highest shame that you can receive yet what is the symbol that jesus people rally around it's the cross jesus can do that with your life he can take your shame he can turn it around And he can use it to lead people into a relationship with him. You don't have to have anything special. You are the equipment. Drop down to verse 16 and we'll see the fourth thing that Jesus told them. And and these last two things almost come as a a little bit of an admonition, maybe a, a little bit of a warning. But he says, stay alert. This is hazardous work I'm assigning you. You're going to be like sheep running through a wolf pack. So don't call attention to yourselves. Be as cunning as a snake and inoffensive as a dove. The fourth thing the dirty dozen was given by Jesus was the warning to to stay alert from the attacks of the enemy. When you choose to engage the kingdom of God, it is not going to be easy. Because there is another kingdom that is out there. And it is the kingdom of darkness. Okay, as we've said so many times, and Jesus said so many times, okay, you're either with me or against me, which tells me that there is no neutral ground. Okay, there is no spiritual Switzerland. Okay, you're either with me or against me. Okay? It's kingdom of God or it's kingdom of Satan. Okay? And so when we, if we are in the kingdom of God, choose to engage the world or or people who are, are not of Jesus, that means they are in the kingdom of Satan. And when we start going trying to pull people out of Satan's kingdom, guess what? Satan won't appreciate that too much. This is not easy work that we do. 
Okay, now it's one thing to, to have a heart for the lost. It's another thing to, to go to the lost and to minister out of your brokenness. But at the same time, when we do it, we have to stay alert in how we do it. Okay, we have to stay alert. You know, we can't just, yeah, everything will be great and fine and good. We have to stay alert. It doesn't mean we, we, you know, I think sometimes people become Christians and lose their brains. Okay, we can't do that. I don't think God tells us to do that. If he did, I don't think Jesus would say, stay alert. Stay alert because what you're doing is, is dangerous. Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you must take up your cross daily and follow me. It means laying down our lives. We use our life and our gifting to show Jesus to people. And so here's the thing. He goes on, he says, be as cunning as a snake and inoffensive as a dove. When you just meet somebody who doesn't know Jesus, the best tactic is not to say, you're going to burn in hell. That's not the best tactic. Now, that might work for some people, but if I just meet someone and I want them to know Jesus and I don't like what they're doing, I say, if you don't stop, you're going to burn in hell. If I don't have a relationship with that person, what's the likelihood that they're going to listen to anything else I have to say? Not much. Now then, it's not saying that they might not ever, because some people respond to that stuff. But in general, that usually does not work. And so as we engage the kingdom of darkness, it also means that we're engaging in relationships. And we're bringing people along. And that's the other thing. We, we have to do for these people exactly what Jesus did for us. We have to meet them where they are. We can't expect people to act just like us just because they're interested in faith or just because they come, to, or they come to know Jesus. We cannot expect them to automatically just all of a sudden do everything that we do right off the bat. You know this. It's a growing process, and so you have to stay with people, and you have to continue to encourage. You have to continue to love. You have to continue to teach. You have to continue showing and, and leading them to Jesus Hopefully till they get to the point where they say, you know what, I'm ready to commit to this. I'm ready to give my life. I'm ready to jump in both feet and surrender my life to Jesus. And so we have to have some tactics ourselves. If Satan, the enemy, used tactics, then we have to have tactics as well. Do you agree with that? If we're engaged in spiritual warfare, then we have to be tactical ourselves. Okay? And just blowing somebody's doors in is not being innocent as a dove, is it? It's not. And that's, man, we weren't treated that way. Jesus says, remember, you were treated generously. Live. Live generously. And then finally in verse 17, and this one's important too, don't be naive. Some people will impugn your motives. Others will smear your reputation just because you believe in me. The fifth thing that the dirty dozen that Jesus gives them is that they are not to be naive about the tactics of the enemy. I have met so many Christians that are just naive about how everything is going to be perceived. 
And that's what I meant a minute ago. But I've seen people who surrender their life to Jesus. It's like they forgot their brain. It's like they forgot that the world still existed, that there's still evil out there. There's still people that want to, to derail them and, 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 and attack them. We can't be naive about, about how the world works. And when we choose to engage the kingdom of, uh, of Satan with the kingdom of God, Satan will attack. Don't be naive to that. Okay, and that's easy. Just say, hey, you know, it'll be fine. Just gonna, uh, just everything's going to be great. And it might be great. But when we start messing with that other kingdom in the hopes of pulling people out of the darkness into the light, Satan will attack. And we have to be mindful. We cannot be naive about the tactics of the, the enemy because he will use them against us. Now, at the same time, we can't overdo this because it's really easy to, to over-preach this, okay? Uh, maybe the, the opposite of this is becoming cynical, you know? We have to make sure that we don't become so cynical in, in the process. And so Jesus gave these five things to the dirty dozen, and then he sent them out on a mission, and their life just, it all turned out great. What we know about the apostles is that one of them, Judas, committed suicide. And all of the others were martyred. John, traditionally, is thought to be the only one who lived out a natural existence and death. Now, he was exiled for a time. But he is the only one that was not put to death. All of the rest of them, all of the rest of them, James and Bartholomew, Matthew, Andrew, Peter, Philip, Simon, Matthias, who replaced Judas, James, Thomas, Thaddeus, all of them, all of them were martyred. Some of them in horrible ways. Some of them were mercifully beheaded. Peter, tradition tells us, was crucified. He has to be crucified upside down. I cannot imagine a... I cannot imagine... A worse way to die. Well, we're not the, the dirty dozen. We're not the dirty dozen. But we can be known as something else. We can be the dirty disciples. Now then, here's what I want to tell you. And I believe this. That disciples without a little bit of dirt on them are disciples who probably aren't discipling. Does that make sense? If you're not engaging a world or engaging people that is lost and broken, then you're not going to interact with people who are lost and broken. Lost and broken people are just like what we once were. Lost and broken. We had dirt on us. Okay, And if we're going to bring people into the kingdom of God, we have to interact with those people. Okay, And in order to interact with them, that means we have to jump in. We have to 
have a heart for the lost. We have to go to the lost. And it means that we have to get our hands dirty in, other, in, in, order, to bring, in order to bring people to Jesus. And so what I would say to you, and, and hear me. Hear what I say. If you don't hear anything else I say, hear this. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, and you don't have a little bit of the world's dirt on you, are you really discipling? Or are you just consuming? Do you just come here on Sunday morning or Wednesday night and, and leave it to everybody else? Because if you're engaging in the world, then you're hearing life stories, you're hearing brokenness, you're hearing tough stuff, and that's, that's the dirt. But as you listen to people and you struggle with people man it's so worth the risk it's worth it to bring people into Jesus so I would say a disciple without dirt on them isn't really discipling so get dirty well here's the things that, that Jesus gave them he gave these to the dirty dozen, but he also gives them to us as dirty disciples. The first is this, and this is, this is us. Here's how, you, here's how you do this. You must have a heart for the lost. Okay, If we don't have a heart for the lost, then what are we doing this for? Does that make sense? We must have a heart for the lost. And it's so easy to get away from this. Okay, It's so easy to buy into the American version of Christianity that's all about me and my needs and all of that. And forget that there are people out there that don't know Jesus and need to come into that saving relationship with Him. We must have a heart for the lost. But then we also must seek out the lost. Okay? And, and to do that, really, that's a, um, that is a, uh, a, a demonstration of an active faith. Okay? Because, again, like we said, it's one thing to have a heart for the lost. It's another to actually go to the lost, is it not? And when you're doing that, that means you have an active faith when you're actually spending time with people and leading them to Jesus. Dirty disciples minister from their life experience, from their life experience and from their gifting. Dirty disciples stay alert to the tactics, to attacks from the enemy. And then finally, the fifth thing we've talked about this morning is that dirty disciples are not to be naive about enemy tactics. That's how we become a dirty disciple. A disciple that is willing to get our hands dirty. A disciple that is willing to engage society and community and culture. That's willing to interact with people who are going through rough stuff. Who have had rough stuff done to them. That's what being a, a dirty disciple is all about. And so here's our, here's our growth point for the morning, and it, it's simply this. Being a disciple requires us to get our hands dirty in order to bring people into a relationship with Jesus. Does that make sense? It requires us to interact with, with the world. The dirty dozen, they, they went into all the world. 
doing the things that, that Jesus did, saying the things that, that Jesus said. And, you know, we are all beneficiaries of their work. You might say, well, how is that? The fact that every one of us are sitting here today, even though those guys, most of them lost their lives, the fact that we sit here today is evidence of their successful mission. We sit here today because of their sacrifice. And they went into the world. They went into all the world. They took the good news of the kingdom. They established churches. You know, on the last night of Jesus' life, He called the dirty dozen together around a table. And He took bread and he broke it and he gave it to him. And he took wine and he passed it around the table. And he says, you know, these things, when you take them, remember me. And as they went out and they engaged the world, they remembered what Jesus said. And as they started their community of believers, they incorporated that time of, of, of gathering around the table of breaking bread together. This is evidence of the work of the dirty dozen. Jesus calls us to join his dirty disciples as well. Let's pray together.